we celebrate a few days ago the exhortation of the Holy Cross. We continue to celebrate the exhortation of the Holy Cross until the Apodos Shistis Eortis, which is uh, Tuesday. So I think the best thing to start off tonight is with uh, chanting the Apolitikion, the dismissal hymn for the Holy Cross. So son kirieton launsu, kevlogison tinklironomiansu, nikastis vasilevsi katavarvaron dorumenos, keton son filaton diatustavrusu, politevma. Your blessing, uh, your grace. Thank you once again for joining us. Um, so, um, just uh, during the talk, um, we do encourage everyone to have your, your um, cameras on so His Grace can see you. Um, it'd just be a, a little bit more personable for, for everyone, but definitely keep your microphones muted if you can do that. Um, as we mentioned uh, previously, these seminars are a great way to reconnect with each other. Um, everyone who's part of Christianity uh, Enosi, Greek Orthodox Christian Society, and also everyone else who has joined us because we have in fact open up, opened up this series to anyone who would like to join us. And the theme of this series is from the Psalms, Ortheos andilipton moi, prothasime, God, you are my protector, your mercy shall go before me. So in this series of short talks, we do have the blessing of having some of our hierarchs in Australia and some clergy of our archdiocese giving some, some talks and some presentations. There will be other presentations as well, including um, things for our, our mother leaders and Sunday school teachers, et cetera, um, which are uh, more specific for more specific groups. But these seminars are for everyone to join us. Um, and uh, reiterating what I mentioned before, please keep yourselves on mute um, while we while His Grace is speaking. So before before His Grace um, starts his presentation, uh, we have two talks, uh, two uh, songs from our young people from Tirtukiklo. So they've put together two songs uh, virtually. So we call them virtual choirs, and uh, we'll hear them uh, these nice songs right now.
as well in a virtual choir which is quite impressive amazing amazing. so many people so many people uh in in unison it's not easy definitely not easy so congratulations to all the young people who made that happen and uh it's such a wonderful presentation um so um before his grace starts uh, i'm sure he doesn't really need an introduction Uh, a lot of us are very familiar with him um and he uh, very recently, earlier on in this year, also joined us for one of our 1821 events, and we got to speak to him and uh, got to know him qu- quite quite well because um, he spent a bit of time here in Sydney, um, and we're absolutely delighted to have him uh, with us. It's a blessing to have you with us, Your Grace, you. and uh, uh, His Grace is going to talk about the topic, the obligations of the living towards the ones who have fallen asleep. So with that, I'd like to pass uh, pass on to His Grace, and perhaps afterwards, if we do have time, there might be some time for for questions. Your Grace, absolutely. Thank you, Pandili. Thank you. Um, uh, first of all, I would like to uh, thank the Greek Orthodox Christian Society, together with the Kiklu Ladies Fellowship, 
for inviting me tonight and um, uh, saying a few words on the topic that you just outlined, Bandali. So thank you very much for the invitation. It was an honor for me as well. Uh, also, I have you opposite, and, and this one I'm going to show you now. I'm sure everyone's familiar with this. Can you all see this? This is on my desk, not just today because I'm talking, but from, from when I was in Sydney and I attended the, um, the function that you just mentioned, Padali, for 1821, for the 200 uh, anniversary. I was given this beautiful card that depicts, as you can see, the Anastasia, the resurrection, and um, the, the, the hidden school, the secret school. And uh, I find this very powerful. And this sits literally on my desk. So every day I see this. So I just thought I'd just bring this to your attention. So we commence, um, my dear friends, like Pandali said, the topic, the obligations of the living towards the ones who have fallen asleep. And if I could, I would like to uh, commence tonight by referring to something that I have referred to many times in the past in my funeral sermons, uh, especially when I was a, a parish priest for 12 years at St. Constantine St. Helene, um, referring to the three stages of life. And this is something that I came across many years ago in a very small uh, Orthodox funeral service book that was translated by uh, Father Evagoras Kosandinidis in the USA. And as outlined by the author, death is the third and it's the final stage of our life because our life is actually made up of three stages and not two as it may seem. And what is the first stage? The first stage consists basically of the nine months that our mother carries us. And there in the, the darkness, in the dampness of our mother's womb, we are sustained, we are fed, we function only through our mother. In other words, we are absolutely and totally dependent on our mother. Then at about the end of the nine months, there comes a knock at the door, so to speak, and a voice is heard saying to us, it is time for you to go yet into another world. And if it was possible to record the reaction of the little baby at that particular time, I'm sure the answer would be negative. No, I'm just fine here. Because the fear of the unknown begins that early. But whether we like it or not, we have to eventually leave the world of the womb, of our mother's womb, and we are born into this world, the second stage of life, Whereas developing or developed human beings, we make use of all our physical and mental faculty to provide for ourselves. And what is our first reaction upon entering this world? Crying, fear, apprehension. We cling to our mother and are fearful of anybody else. But gradually, over time, we become used to, the, to our father, other members of the family, and eventually with a lot of other people. And we begin to love and enjoy God's beautiful world, which we have just come uh, to, to know. And as we then progress in life, we advance in years, we reach the age of, I don't know, 60, 70, and so forth, the body gradually begins to, to decline. And then there comes another knock at the door, which is again heard saying to us, it is time for you to go yet into another world. 
And again, what is the usual reaction? Not for all, but for most people. Uh, again, it can generally, it's negative generally. No, I'm, I'm just fine here because the fear of leaving this world to go to the next, for many, may uh, reign supreme. But again, whether we, we have nothing to say and willingly or not, we shed the body and are born into eternity, which is the third and the final stage of our life, where we then see, where we then hear, where we then feel and, and understand through the soul or through the spirit alone. So after saying these few points, what is death? Death is really nothing more than a birth. And that is why the Orthodox Church celebrates the memory of the saints, not on the anniversary of their earthly birth, but on the anniversary of their death. In other words, their birth into eternity. Of course, we have the exception of St. John the Baptist, Baptist, where we celebrate his birthday. And of course, the Holy Theotokos is a, an exception and our Lord Jesus Christ. But generally, when it comes to all the saints, except St. John, we always celebrate the anniversary of their death, because like I said, the death of the saint is really a birth into paradise, into eternal life. Once a particular uh, doctor was asked how he felt when on the one and same day, he would deliver a child in the hospital and then go to another floor and pronounce someone who had just died. And his answer was that it used to bother me a lot until I realized that both times I was attending to a birth, a birth into this world and a birth into the world uh, beyond. So the next question is, should one fear death, this great journey, as we call it? And the answer is really no, not if we are prepared for it. When, uh, when Socrates, who lived approximately 500 years prior to Christ, was told that the time had come for him to prepare for his journey, for his death, in other words, he responded by saying, do you not know that I've been preparing for it all my life? So although, you see, Socrates, although he lived before Christ, he had, um, he, he had um, traits of the truth. So he hadn't yet, he hadn't realized, he hadn't, he hadn't heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But many of these great philosophers who lived before Jesus Christ many times spoke as if they were great fathers of the church. Uh, and then we come to the, the next question, uh, which is, and how does one prepare for this great journey, which we call a death? And here, St. Anthony uh, uh, responds or answers this question for us by saying that if we want to be prepared for this great journey, which we call death, then live every day as if it was your last one. So, my dear friends, when the time arrives and our loved ones are entering stage three of their life, then the first thing that we, the living, need to do is to prepare for their funeral service, for the kivia. Kivia, for those, most of us know uh, Greek here, tonight means frondida. So kivia means frondida, to start taking care for our loved ones. And once the person falls asleep, and that's the terminology we use, although we say sometimes, obviously we say the person has died, but the church generally uses the word um, fallen asleep. Once the person falls asleep, then the first thing that we can do is we call our parish priest, to read the appropriate prayers over a loved one, um, commonly known as the Trisayu. 
at the place of death, if it's possible. That's where we normally do these prayers. And if it's not possible, because it's not always possible for the priest at that moment to be present or to attend the place uh, where the person has just fallen asleep. Uh, if it's not possible to read the prayers on the, uh, at the moment of death or just straight after, then those prayers obviously can always be read read at a, at a later date, um, generally before the funeral service, of course, maybe at the viewing, for example. Um, and it's interesting to note, and I always emphasize this, that when one is, for example, christened in our church, the priest will generally wait for him or her in the church. And the same occurs when one is getting married. But when one departs this life, the priest will travel to the one who has just fallen asleep, like I said previously, to read the appropriate Thrissayum prayers over them. And this can take place, again, I emphasize at the hospital, at the nursing home, at the funeral home, or at the home residence on the morning of the funeral service. And, for, and from the private residence, what happens when the priest goes in the morning? From the private residence, the priest will escort the deceased in the hearse back to the church. Now, through these actions, you might say, what am I trying to get at? Basically, I'm trying to say that through these actions, we see what great honor is bestowed upon the one who has just fallen asleep by the church. And as you know, straight after the funeral service, the priest is not leaving. Again, the priest accompanies our loved ones in the hearse right to the cemetery where they are laid to rest. So great honors uh, the church bestows upon those who have fallen uh, asleep. When the Virgin Mary, the Holy Theotokos, fell asleep, all the apostles who were scattered around the world preaching gathered instantly to Jerusalem to farewell and conduct, we can say, the funeral service of the Holy Theotokos. And the apostles were close to Christ's mother, so as friends they were obliged to be present when the Holy Theotokos fell asleep. And this teaches us that we too are obliged to be present. paron, as we say in Greek, at the funeral service of our loved ones, especially those who, especially even our benefactors as well, because we've all got benefactors in life. So we are obliged to, to give the paron, as I said, to be present at the funeral service of our benefactors, those who helped us in life, and of course, all our loved ones as well. Now, apart from conducting the funeral service, we are, of course, required to offer prayers unceasingly. Now, I will read the Doxistiko. I'd like to share this with you, the Doxistiko, um, from the Orthodox Funeral Service. And this hymn is chanted as we approach the coffin of our loved ones at the end of the funeral service. And what we do is we actually give um, the one fallen asleep the final kiss, as we call it, the final kiss. But before I read the Doxistiko, I would like to share a few thoughts with you regarding the final kiss that we give our beloved brothers and sisters on the day of the funeral service. Now, of course, as uh, we all know, the, uh, the, uh, kissing is a, the kissing in the funeral service is an act, of course, especially expressive of human uh, love. However, the kissing at funeral services in the Orthodox funeral services also has another more mystical meaning. It indicates that the brother or the sister who has fallen asleep is desirable and worthy of the honours given to all godly people. 
because he or she has ended their life after having walked steadfastly in the way of God. The giving of the final kiss in Christian funerals can be noted from the time of the persecutions. That is from a time when the funeral service had not yet been uh, fully composed. It is reported, for example, that Origen would kiss the Christian martyrs just before their martyrdom. Later, it became the custom to give the kiss after the martyr had fallen asleep, had died. From the 4th to the 5th century, we find the kiss at the end of the funeral services as it is today. St. Athanasius, for example, on Mount Athos, now we're going to the, uh, we're going to the 10th century, at the, funerals, or at the funeral service of, uh, that were conducted in the Holy Monastery of the Great Lavra, after the funeral service had been completed, would approach the deceased to give him the final kiss and to escort him to the grave. The final kiss was considered a duty of the living towards those who had fallen asleep. And this is why it was included in the funeral services as we see it uh, today. So now I return to the Doxastiko, to that beautiful hymn that's chanted at the end of the funeral service. And in this particular hymn, the one who has fallen asleep, lying there in the coffin, is seen pleading with those attending the funeral service. Looking on me as I lie here prone before you, voiceless and unbreathing, mourn for me everyone, brethren and friends, relatives and you who knew me well. For but yesterday with you I was talking and suddenly there came upon me the fearful hour of death. Therefore, come all you that long for me and kiss me with the last kiss of parting. For no longer shall I walk with you, nor talk with you. For to the judge, Christ, of course, for to the judge I go, where no person is valued for his or her earthly station. Yes, slave and master together stand before him, king and soldier, rich man and poor man, all accounted of equal rank. For each one, according to their own deeds, shall be glorified or be put to shame. Therefore, I beg you all, I beg you all, and implore you to offer prayer unceasingly for me to Christ our God, that I be not assigned for my sins to the place of torment, but that he assigns me to the place where there is light of life. Dear brothers and sisters, dear friends, although the chanter chants these beautiful words in tone number six from memory, it is as if they are coming directly from the one lying in the coffin. These are the final words. These are the final wishes of the deceased to us. The one fallen asleep begs all of us urgently, not just one person, but everyone present at the funeral service to pray for the salvation of their soul. And not only to pray once off and that's it, but the word here is unceasingly. The word that St. Paul also uses uh, in the New Testament when he says pray unceasingly. These are powerful words only to be found in the Orthodox funeral service 
a service, a reminder that goes back to the first millennium, to the eighth century and even earlier. The one who has died wants us to constantly show concern about him or her. The one who has died wants us to constantly do something for the benefit of their soul. The one who has fallen asleep is constantly waiting for something from us. And the more they receive, the more beneficial it is for their soul. The soul of the departed will never, ever say, it's enough now. You can stop praying for me. I'm fine. No. If these, or if there are people, sorry, if there are people who feel guilty that they did not do enough to support their elderly parents, for example, while alive, then do not become anxious. Do not worry because your parents who have died or have fallen asleep now need your help more than ever before. In the book, Metathanaton, After Death, the author describes how a child who had died appeared to his brother to say, tell our mother why she has forgotten me. Now, the mother of the child, of course, had done the normal memorial services when the child had died, but after a while, basically stopped. She, of course, always would think of her child, um, but this, I suppose, we can say was, was not good enough because the child here, in this particular case, was asking his mother to constantly do something beneficial for his soul as long as she was alive. Thus, merely having our departed loved ones in our mind is good, but not good enough. We are required to do certain things that will bring comfort and some kind of uh, benefit to their souls. And now let's have a closer look at what we can do, what we are expected to do for those we love and that have traveled, traveled the great journey before us, the journey of, of, as we call it, of death, who have traveled to the afterlife. First of all, I refer to our own repentance. St. Paisios the Athenite, recently canonized saint of our church, would say that the greatest memorial service that we could do for the one who has died, he goes, is to repent. In the book of James, the New Testament, we read that if we turn a sinner from the error of his or her way, then we will cover a multitude of our sins. Now, according to this biblical verse, if we repent and make a 180 degree turn in our lives as a result of someone's death, then of course, their sins will also be forgiven. Secondly, almsgiving. The one who has fallen asleep can no longer do acts of charity. We, on behalf of them and their soul, can do acts of charity, which also benefits their soul greatly. St. John Chrysostom, one of the great fathers of our church, says and states that when you give alms to the poor, you should also give them, if it's possible, the name of your loved one who has fallen asleep. For the poor person has great power because the prayer comes forth from their heart. Or otherwise, when you feed someone in need, you can even silently inside, inside you say that I'm giving this particular donation or whatever it may be in memory of my beloved mother or father who has fallen asleep. Now, some may say that I will engage in acts of charity. Very well, I can do that. I agree with that for my loved ones who have departed this life, but I will not do memorial services or commemorate their names uh, in the church liturgies. Now, we must here confess that this is not the right phronima, this is not the right attitude, because almsgiving is secondary. And first and most important is commemorating the ones who have fallen asleep, where? In the divine liturgy. 
where the Holy Eucharist is being celebrated. Of course, they are due. And the best thing is to do both. Commemorate the names of the departed at the Divine Liturgy, as well as engaging in acts of charity for the departed. The truth is that the prayers of the priest during the celebration of the Holy Eucharist are extremely, extremely powerful. All prayers, of course, benefit the soul of the departed, but especially the prayers of the priest during the celebration of the Divine Liturgy. Uh, and I'm going to give an example now that I've taken from an outstanding book, Experiences During the Divine Liturgy. There was once a priest by the name of Father Parthenios who had a drinking problem. He obviously liked his alcohol. However, he, could, he would never cease to commemorate. This was a good thing about him. He would never cease to commemorate the names of the departed at every divine liturgy. One day, as one day he had not, re, he had not recovered from the excess uh, consumption uh, of alcohol. And as he was serving the divine liturgy or getting ready to serve, the holy gifts fell from his hands. Of course, he realized what a serious sin this was, um, and immediately informed the bishop of this serious action of his. And then the bishop decided to suspend the priest for a short period of time with the hope that the priest will then learn from his mistake, stop drinking, and do what he's supposed to do. Now, as, as the bishop was preparing uh, or thinking about the priest's suspension, immediately he saw a vision. And from the walls of his office, he saw coming forth elderly people, young people, poor, rich, hundreds and hundreds of people were coming forth all perplexed. And the bishop even noticed some of his own people that have died. And in one voice, they all appeared in front of his, uh, front of his desk in his office. And in one voice, all those people that he saw uh, cried out saying, do not reprimand our priest. He, rem he remembers all of us in the divine liturgy. He's our friend. Do not reprimand him. And then the bishop, of course, realized that all these people parading in front of him were the souls of the departed, in which Father Parthenios, the drunkard, we can say the drunkard priest, never ceased to commemorate during the divine liturgy. This example alone shows the great comfort received by the departed when they hear their names being recited by the priest during the divine liturgy. The souls of the departed are not concerned whether the priest is a holy man or a sinner. They are only concerned with the one thing that is needful, as Christ says in the Gospel of Luke, and that is the salvation of their souls. However, once we close our eyes and enter the third stage of life, we can do nothing for our own salvation, but we can only rely on the prayers of the people that we leave behind. And that's why I like, I use the term always obligation. It's an obligation, necessity of us, the living, to always remember those who have gone before us. Because as a Chinese proverb states, and, I've, and I kind of like this proverb, I used it before, and I'll use it again tonight, to forget one's ancestors is to be a stream without a source, a tree without root. The prayers of the priest in front of the holy altar table are extremely powerful because the priest has been vested with the priesthood. 
And as an Athenite monk once said, God has his ear at the mouth of the priest. It is also interesting to note that the church, as a good mother that she is, prays for all her departed children, not only at the divine liturgy, but also at the midnight nocturnal services, at the matins services, at the Vesper services, and at the, and at the uh, compline service. At all these services, the priest recites the following verse. Furthermore, we pray for the blessed founders of this holy church and for Orthodox fathers, brothers and sisters depart, departed from this life before us and who have rest and who rest, sorry, and who rest in peace here and everywhere. Lighting a candle. Now, even a simple thing like or gesture like lighting a candle for our loved ones who have fallen asleep can be beneficial to their souls as well. Saint Serafimo Sorov would, would light candles for the departed in front of his icons in his room. And this shows that not only at church, but also in the icon corner of our home and on the tombs of the departed, can we light a candle and pray for our departed brothers and sisters. But it's especially important to light candles for the departed during the divine liturgy, of course. Note the candle can also be lit for the living as, as well. And a particular um, the author, uh, Vasilius Bakuyan, in the book After Death, Metathanatos, states how St. Demetrius once appeared to the helper, to the neocoro of a particular church, saying that as long as candles are being lit and burnt in front of God and his saints, then the sins of the departed as well as of the living are being forgiven. So even a small act of just lighting a candle may seem no big deal for us, but in reality, this small act brings some kind of comfort to the souls of the departed. I mentioned before the Trisayu, and uh, we touched on this very previously, and this is a, a five-minute uh, prayer recited by the priest for the deceased. And it can be recited at the church, at the gravesite, at the hospital, like I said before, when someone dies at the funeral home the night before the funeral, uh, or even in the house in the morning of the funeral of the deceased, in the house of the deceased. These prayers also bring comfort to the departed soul. Father Demetrius Ragasathis, who fell asleep in the Lord in 1975, recalls that on top of a certain mountain in Greece, there were bones from people who were killed by the partisans. And when Father Demetrius went to collect the bones, he could hear voices crying aloud. And Father Demetrius instantly did a Trisayun service, and the crying voices, he says, were no longer heard. So you can see these souls could not rest as no prayer yet had been read for them. A simple Trisayun service alone was enough to bring eternal peace to the souls of these uh, departed people. And then we come to the Saturday of souls, giving the names of our loved ones who have fallen asleep to your parish priest on the Saturday of, of souls is also important. Now we have two official, there's a few more, but there are two official Saturday of souls during the year. And the first is on the Saturday prior to Meet Fair Sunday, and the second on the Saturday just before Pentecost Sunday. Now, why, you may ask, why these two particular uh, what, uh, dates are chosen in the year for the two official Saturday of Souls? Now, on Meet Fair Sunday, we need to realise that all the hymns and even the gospel reading relates to the Last Judgment. Thus, the Holy Fathers, in all their wisdom, thought it right to dedicate the entire Saturday just before Meet Fair Sunday 
judgment Sunday, in other words, to all the departed souls so God can grant them forgiveness and eternal rest on that fearful day. And then the final Saturday of souls for the year, which is on the day before the Feast of Pentecost. On this Saturday, we also commemorate the souls of all the departed. And the plan of salvation is completed with the sending of the Holy Spirit. And since God's will is for everyone to be saved, as we read in uh, the book of Timothy in the New Testament, we pray, therefore, for the departed on, on, on the day before Pentecost so that they may also be part of God's overall plan of salvation. You see, the church, as a good mother, like I said previously, prays for all her children. She knows that there are people who have died and who may not have, who may not have anyone left behind for whatever reason to pray for them or to commemorate them. Or there might, might have been people who never received a funeral service for whatever reason. So what the church does is she allocates two official Saturdays a year, like I said previously, where all, all the departed souls of this world are commemorated. Thus, no one misses out. And I'm now going to read to you the generic prayer read on the Saturday of souls. Again, we pray for the repose of all pious Orthodox Christians who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection unto life everlasting. Kings, patriarchs, bishops, priests, deacons, priests, monks, monks, nuns, parents, grandparents, brothers, sisters, and family from the beginning to the end of time, that you will pardon their every sin, voluntary and involuntary. And now we come to the memorial services, the, the mnemosyn. And we need to emphasize that these are not optional, but essential, since the following takes place when we do an official memorial service at the church. First of all, in the morning, when the priest prepares the Holy Communion, the Holy Gifts, the priest goes much earlier in the morning on a Sunday morning, on a great feast day, and he prepares the Holy Gifts. What he does, he takes a portion from the offering bread, from the prosporo, as we call it, and he says, Lord, remember in your kingdom, your servant or your servants, and he lists a whole heap of names, okay, uh, of people who have uh, living and also who have fallen asleep. And then eventually he finishes off his whole, it's, 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 it's a mini service in itself. Um, he places the, the, um, the wine in the chalice. He places other portions from the prosper, which he takes at the prosper, places it on the viscarion, on the patent. He reads certain prayers. He then covers all the gifts. And then the divine liturgy commences. And during the divine liturgy, and, and especially during the chanting of the Aksonistim, the name of the person who we are doing the memorial service for is mentioned silently. Okay, so there's a, there's a part in the divine liturgy where we mention the name of our loved ones when we are conducting the memorial services. Then later on, the crumb or the portion taken out for the person whose memorial service is being done for is then placed in the chalice. So just uh, somewhere just after the Our Father uh, and prior to communion, the faithful, the priest himself communes. And once the priest communes himself or the bishop communes themselves in the, in the sanctuary, then everything on the discardion, on the patent, are placed into the chalice. And all the crumbs that were taken out for all the living and the ones who have fallen asleep are also placed in the chalice. And as this is taking place, the priest recites the following verse, which is very powerful. Wash away, Lord, the sins of all the people commemorated. 
And as he's saying that, all the crumbs are falling into the chalice, to the, into the blood of Christ. So when the small crumbs enter the chalice, which represent the living and the dead, it is as if the departed here are communing the body and the blood of Christ. And this is extremely beneficial for the souls of the departed. And finally, we have obviously the tray of wheat when we do the memorial services, but this is more the symbolic side because the wheat symbolizes the resurrection of the dead. It's brought in the center of the church generally, or the side, it doesn't really matter. And further prayers at the end of the service are recited for the souls of the departed. The sweet ingredients on the tray basically symbolize and remind us of the bliss and the joy of eternal life of paradise. Uh, the wheat, like I said, symbolizes uh, of the resurrection of the dead since the kernels, the kernels need to be firstly buried for wheat to be produced, okay? In a similar manner, the human body needs to be planted in the earth for us to put on a new spiritual body, as St. Paul talks about in the New Testament. Um, and this new spiritual body we take on on the day of the resurrection. And once we take on this new spiritual body, then we're no longer, our bodies are no longer subject to decay and to corruption. And also when we conduct a memorial service, it gives us the opportunity, of course, to all gather as a family, as a community, as a parish, and to pray on behalf of the departed soul, to pray for, for our loved ones who, who have died. Prayer, you see, is more powerful when, when two or three gather, as Christ tells us, as opposed to when we pray individually alone in, in our rooms or in our homes. Therefore, attending Sunday morning liturgies is not optional, of course, but it's compulsory for Christians. On Sunday morning, we stop praying individually at home and we engage in communal prayer at our local parish. The memorial services end with a very another very powerful phrase, eonia iminimi, memory be eternal. So this phrase that we always hear, this prayer, this mini prayer, uh, what does it really mean, memory be eternal? Does it mean that we should always remember our loved ones forever and ever? I do not think so, because the reality is who can go back 500 years and tell us the name of their aunts, uncles who lived back then and so forth? The phrase, may your memory be eternal, is not referred to human beings who easily forget, but to God. And this phrase is a prayer where we ask God to constantly grant mercy to the departed souls of our loved ones, even when the world has forgotten them and to grant them everlasting rest and peace. The phrase eonia minimi afton or eonia minimi afto or aftis, may their memory be eternal, refers to remembrance by God rather than by us, the living. And we're not simply asking here God to think about them, but to save them, to grant them salvation and to bring all our beloved loved ones into the kingdom of heaven. Memorial services are also, also gives us the living who are still alive here on earth, who are still part of the um, militant church, because the church is one, of course, but there's two aspects of the one church. We have the militant church. That's we are part of the militant church here on earth. And then we have the triumphant church, the heavenly church, where all the saints and all the righteous uh, uh, go uh, uh, after this life. But we are not referring to two different churches. We are referring to one church, but two aspects of the one church. So memorial services also give us the living who are still part of the militant church, the opportunity to reflect on the salvation of our own souls. And each time we go to a funeral service or conduct a few memorial services, 
um, it brings to our attention, it's like a bit of a wake-up call, we can, we can say, where we actually see that even one day too, we'll be travelling on the same path as our beloved loved ones have who have left uh, this world. And it gives us the opportunity to do a bit of spiritual accounting where we see the areas that we lack in and what our passions are and what we need to improve in the grace of God. The family conducting the memorial services ideally, ideally, should bring the following items. Of course, the tray of wheat, I'm sure everyone knows that, but also, where possible, the offering bread, the prosper, the oil, the bottle of sweet port red uh, wine for the Holy Communion, and why not, even a bit of char charcoal and incense, because all these things are used in the divine liturgy. And please note that when we do bring offerings to Christ, I always emphasize it must be of the best quality because we are giving these things to God. And whatever we offer to God must never be of second class, but always the best. All these items are to be given to the priest on the day prior to the memorial service for practical reasons. So why do we conduct the memorial services? The Trisaya, the Pros, why do we uh, bring Pros for offering bread to the church? Why do we engage in almsgiving and everything that we mentioned today? Why do we do all these, engage in all this activity for our departed, for our loved ones? Firstly, because we strongly believe as a church and as Orthodox Christians that our faithful, our loved ones, sorry, our loved ones who have departed this world still exist. They have just left the second stage of life and gone to the third. They've been reborn. They don't stop, you know, so as if, you know, you, you shut the light and, and that's it, kaput, you know, it, it's pitch black. Uh, they still exist. They are familiar with what has taken place. And may we say they're not just going from one uh, phase of life to the next. They're not just going from the second to the third phase, but they are leaving, they're, they're leaving the, 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 the lower life and going to the much superior. Where, no pain, where there is no pain, suffering, and mourning. They're going to everlasting life. They're going to paradise. So that's the first thing we do or while we commemorate, while we pray for our loved ones, because we believe that they still exist. They are alive. And secondly, of course, to ask and to pray to God that he places our departed loved ones amongst the souls of the righteous, amongst the saints, and amongst the souls who actually please God while on earth. When we pray, to God for the departed souls, they receive spiritual comfort that we cannot totally understand because death is a mystery. But if everyone knew what great, and if everyone understood and came to believe sincerely what great comfort the prayers of the living bring to the souls of the departed, then we would never cease praying for our beloved departed friends and family members and that's the exact reason why we attend funeral services we don't attend for because you know they're a friend of ours i mean of course that's all important too but we the main reason why we attend funeral services is basically to pray for the soul of the one who has now departed this world and not only in funeral services but that's the same reason why we attend all the sacraments whether it's a wedding service whether it's a, a, a baptism service or whatever our purpose as christians in attending services is to pray for the souls, whether it's the departed or the newly weds or the newly enlightened one or, or whatever it may be. Therefore, we should never underestimate the power of prayer. Our unceasing prayer can influence on where God assigns the souls of the departed. So if a soul ends up 
in the place of some of internal discomfort, then our unceasing prayers can actually, if I can use the term, persuade God to take this soul out of the place of discomfort and place it amongst the righteous. That's how powerful the prayers of the living are. The person who has died can do nothing for himself. But we, our prayers here on earth, has that power uh, to, um, to persuade God, like I said, to bring our beloved loved ones in a better place. And I will give you an example. The Emperor Theophilus was a severe persecutor of the holy icons. His wife, Theodora, pleaded to Patriarch Methodius to pray for his soul when he died. She was a very devout uh, woman, his wife. The Patriarch, with all his priests, prayed at the Church of the Holy Wisdom, and Theodora also prayed unceasingly with all the palace members. And Christ, who is all loving, and Christ, who wants no one to be lost, but he wants everyone to come to salvation to be saved, heard the prayers being made for the soul of Theophilus. And then a, uh, our Lord appeared to Theodora and he said to her, Note that because of the many tears that you have shed, and because of your great faith, and because of the prayers of my priests, I will be lenient to your husband Theophilus. And the iconoclast King Theophilus, from the place of eternal torment where he was, was then taken to the place of eternal life. And this we find in the book of the Triodion, if I remember correctly, it's the, uh, on, the, on the Saturday of, of uh, souls, it should be. So Christ is the Lord of the living and the dead. And as Lord, as Kyrios, as we say uh, in Greek, a title that refers to God alone, Kyrios, Lord. As Lord, as God, he can do whatever he wishes. The, 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 the truth is that the final judgment has not yet taken place. And until the final judgment, we all live in a period where God continues to have mercy on us. Thus, God's forgiveness is not only restricted to the living, but also extends to those departed, as emphasized in the following prayer, which I'll read now to you. And this is how I will conclude tonight's talk, written by St. John Chrysostom. Chrysostom says, and I quote, everything that we do for the departed, are they not done for the forgiveness of the departed souls? During the Holy Eucharist, Christ is physically present, and beside him stands angels who tremble in fear. And the priest sends up prayers for the ones who have fallen asleep. Do you think that all these fearful things take place for nothing? I hope that such a thought does not enter your minds. Amen.